We've sung this morning. We are in awe of who you are and what you have done. We pray, God, you would continue to be present here, speak to our hearts, speak into our lives through your word uh, just now. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So we came through Christmas. We've been, we've been going hard for three or four weeks getting ready for Christmas, and it happened uh, this last uh, Monday, and I'm sure you uh, used the rest of the week to recover from whatever you did on uh, Christmas Day. We had a wonderful time last weekend on Christmas Eve uh, morning and evening, uh, just great times of worship and great times being together uh, with God's people, and we, uh, I think it's just a great uh, kickstart into the new year. Uh, we've been looking at characters around the Christmas story, and we're going to finish, we're going to wrap that up by looking at uh, a key character this morning. But uh, before we do that, I want to set the stage a little bit for what's going to happen in, in January. As we head into January, uh, the direction that we're going to take here, at least on Sunday morning, and, and there are obviously uh, Bible studies and small groups and different things that are, are going kind of their directions. We think about kids' ministry and youth, and uh, they all have uh, plans for the new year. But here on Sunday morning, we are going to look at our vision, the idea of changing lives, loving others, growing followers, and we're going to unpack that during the Sunday mornings of January. We're going to talk about the, the key ministry values that we have uh, developed uh, that are just going to be the core of what we do as a church, and we're going to wrap that all up in the package of stewardship, that we are, we are stewards of what God has given us, not just the material resources that God has given us, given us. Certainly there is stewardship involved there, but there is stewardship of what God has given us as far as abilities, gifts, uh, other resources in our life, and uh, those are all part of what God has called us together as a church, as the body of Christ, uh, to do together. And so January is go going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to it and sharing that with you and, and having you understand uh, more deeply uh, the vision and, and what God has called us to as a church. Also, uh, floating around here this morning, and they're back there where the sermon notes are, so if you didn't pick one up, uh, you can get one. But there's a little folder that looks like this, and it's an opportunity to tell your story. A lot of times on this last Sunday of the year, we have done a testimony service, and that's great. But over the, the next couple of weeks, these are going to be available and it's an opportunity for you to tell the story about what God is doing in your own life. So you can write it in this um, little folder, and you'll see them back there. Or you can, there's an email in there where you can email your story. And we would love to hear how God is working in your life, how God is changing your life, how God is uh, causing you to grow in your faith, how God is allowing you to love others uh, through him. Uh, we would love to hear that story. And so there's... Uh, a, an avenue to get that story out. And so check that out on your way out there. The folders are there on that back table. Hey, well, this morning we are going to look at a gentleman uh, who is known as King Herod. And before we jump into the word, I want you to watch this little video intro and then we will look at uh, his life. Are they here? As your advisor, I feel compelled to communicate my hesitation about this meeting. Do you even know these men? We do not. So why even take a meeting with them? They are stargazers, 
They are Gentiles. These men have valuable information. We play our cards right. They will help us infinitely more than we can help ourselves. Send them in. Gentlemen, greetings. Welcome. Welcome. My staff tells me you've come a long way. This is true. We've come from the east. Is that right? And I trust your journeys have not been too difficult. They're like most journeys. Some good, some bad, but mostly long. <laughs> so tell me... As a man who doesn't do much journeying myself anymore, what is it that would inspire men such as yourself to undertake such a long trip? Well, as I'm sure you know, word has been spreading about the birth of a Messiah. We witnessed his star, and so we have come to worship him. Is that right? A new Messiah. I must admit, I feel a little silly. This is the first I'm hearing of this. It's said to be in a place called Bethlehem. Do you know where we could find this place? Lucky for you, Bethlehem is only about ten miles away. Ten miles? Ah, that's such a relief. After so many miles, ten seems just around the corner. Isn't that the truth? <laughs> I know you're eager to resume your journey and witness this new Messiah firsthand, but please, before you go, allow me to be a good host and offer you a drink. To the Messiah. To the new king. Would you do me a favor? Of course. Once you have found this new king, would you come back and tell me exactly where he is so that I might have the opportunity to go and worship him myself? Consider it done, King Herod. Safe travels. He just doesn't look like a very pleasant guy. All right, so here's the deal. Let's give, let me give you a little bit of background on this King Herod. Some of you may uh, know quite a bit about Herod. Some of you may know just what you've read in the Christmas story. And some of you may not know anything at all. And, and that's... Fine. Herod the Great was born in 73 B.C. And he was born into a, a family that had the habit of siding with the political strength of Rome and had found a way to kind of weasel their way into the 
the good graces of Rome, and so his father was uh, part of leadership within the, the Roman Empire. Um, at some point um, in the mid-40s B.C., when Herod was about 30 years old, his father was killed by poisoning. That's a theme that we're going to want to hold on to, but his, his father was poisoned, and so Herod very quickly became the apparent heir to what his father had uh, been doing and was eventually uh, made king of Judea. Uh, so he was working under the, the power and the influence of the Roman Empire, but he had uh, rule over the area of Judea, and that uh, reign would happen from 37 B.C. to about 4 A.D. And so about for 33 years there, Herod was ruling uh, in that area. Uh, he was a man of great ambition, uh, had incredible uh, building projects. Uh, he, uh, we're going to look at how he handled things. The question that come to my mind as I was just reading a little bit about Herod was how did he get things done? There was incredible things that he was known for as far as what he accomplished building-wise. He took, he took uh, a number of places in that area and, and built incredible things, including the, the temple in Jerusalem. But he accomplished that uh, through some rather harsh means. How did he get things done? Well, he was a brutal, brutal man. He ruled uh, by power, he ruled by coercion, he ruled by manipulation, and if something didn't go his way, he took care of it. He killed his own wife, he killed his father-in-law, he killed his sons. Anybody that was a threat to him, he took care of in the most, well, the best way that, that he thought that they would no longer be a threat. So he was a terrible man in that sense. And he, and he imposed uh, taxes upon the people there in that area so that he could accomplish what he wanted to do building-wise and uh, for his reputation. So he had worked hard. He had worked very politically. He had manipulated and uh, grown to be uh, very powerful. And he was not going to let anything get in his way of being the ruler that he wanted to be. And so we come to the story in Scripture with that as a background. If you have your Bible this morning, I'd like you to find Matthew chapter 2. And this will be the last character of this Christmas story. So we've had, we've had Elizabeth and Zechariah who were parents to John the Baptist. We've had Mary and Joseph who were uh, the parents of Jesus. Uh, we had the, the shepherds. We had the innkeeper. This morning we have King Herod. Matthew chapter 2 beginning at verse 1. This is what it says. Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it is written by the prophet, And you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judea, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So, 
That's the beginning of this story. We've got the wise men coming from the east. We've got Herod ruling as king. And so we look at these wise men and we, we uh, reflect on, uh, on the Christmas story and maybe some of us have a nativity scene or we put something in our yard and we see the wise men. We know about the wise men. We, they're called wise men. They're called kings. We know that these were Gentile men uh, from the east, probably from the area of Babylon, that had come and knew, knew of the coming king or the Messiah that was to be born. And so when they received a sign, they came looking for this king. So the question would be, how did they know to look? How were they aware of this story? How were they aware that there was a king to be born? And so if we think back a little bit, uh, and this is the beautiful thing, I believe about the Old Testament and about Scripture in general is that we see the hand of God, His sovereignty, His finger writing the story. Because if you go back into the Old Testament and you think about the exiles from Israel that were exiled into Babylon years, hundreds of years before, Daniel was one of those. And Daniel's prophecies talked about a coming Messiah. And that story had been told and continued to be told over generations and generations. So these men, whoever they were, these wise men, they had heard the story. They were aware that there was this king, this Messiah coming. They were aware of the story. And so Daniel's influence clear back hundreds of years before in the Old Testament, was continuing to bear fruit. And eventually, when this story comes to its pinnacle, these folks are ready, not just to come to worship the king, but to also take the story of this Messiah back to where they came from. And so God's got a plan. God's got a plan. Even when we don't understand, I I think we, from time to time, things happen in our life and we find ourselves asking why why would it happen this way this was not my plan where is God in this and we need to be reminded that there is such a bigger thing going on around us that we sometimes get focused in on our little experience as we experience life and we miss or we fail to recognize that God wants to do something much bigger than what I can see and, and this story is a reminder of that. So here we've got these, these men coming. Now, I, w- I, I wasn't sure I was going to call her out, and I decided I'm going to call her out. Because I mentioned Jennifer Sheldon a lot, and I, you know. But I, I messaged her yesterday and told her to read up on the Kings. Because a couple years ago in our Bible study, we took a quiz on the Christmas story. And we think, you know, and we said, you know, it, in the Christmas story, it says we, or the Christmas song says, we three kings. And so we asked, one of the questions we asked was, how many kings, how many wise men came to worship the baby Jesus? And we said, we don't know. Jennifer answered, three. But the Bible doesn't say. It says wise men from the east, and it says that they brought three gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, but we don't know how many there were. And she was floored. She thought for sure there was three. But there was, we don't know how many there were. And we don't even know that they were kings. They were wise men. As the video said, they were star gazers. Um, 
I, one person said in their mind it was more like the, the, um, the four guys in Big Bang Theory. That's probably more likely, that, you know, these guys that are, you know, astronomers or, you know, scientists. And, but they were aware of the story, and they come looking for uh, King Jesus. Now, that image of the Big Bang guys showing up at the manger, you know, that should keep you going for a while. So we, we, we just have to recognize that God's got a hand in the process of the story that he's writing. Even when we don't understand, God's, God's got his hand uh, and he's got an active part of what's happening. But you know what? It, it does require our participation, doesn't it? The Bible says that we will find him if we seek him with all of our heart. And so these men were seeking God. They didn't know exactly what they were looking for. They didn't know exactly what they would find. But they were seeking God. And that's our part in it. God asked us to be faithfully seeking after him. And so it says there in Matthew 2 that Herod and some of the people in Jerusalem were troubled. He approaches the chief priests and they identify the town for him, but they don't seem to be too interested one way or the other. They say, hey, it's Bethlehem. That's, that's what the Bible says. And then we've got these three men that are coming to worship Jesus. So there's three responses to the birth of Jesus. One is that we can be troubled and threatened. One is we can be kind of indifferent. Doesn't really matter to us. Or we can be seeking to worship this new king. And, and I think as you look at Scripture, you will th- see those three responses often within the pages of Scripture. So Herod was not um, thrilled about this. He was, in fact, threatened by what he heard. So let's look further in Matthew. It says this, reading on. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. And when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. So Herod got as much information from these guys as he could. Found out where they were going, what they were looking for, where it was going to be happening, and then asked them to come back and let him know so that he too could go and worship. But we know that's not what he had in mind. In fact, it, it just... It just reminds me, when I, when I see a, or hear about an organized crime movie or, or, you know, a Godfather kind of movie and we think about how things work and how people use different avenues to get information so that they can get, they can accomplish what they want to accomplish. It's just like out of a scene from one of those movies, isn't it? Herod wants to know where this king is born so he can go worship him, but he's making plans really to take care of this king, assassinate this king, so that no one is a threat to him. 
And so that's, it's just like the movies. And I think that's why we like movies so much, because it imitates what's going on in our lives many times. But you can see Herod's motivation being unpacked uh, here and what he wants to accomplish and, and what he sees uh, happening in front of him. And I think it um, helps us to understand when we see Herod's motives fleshed out in this way. Now, we have to uh, look at the scripture here again, and we, we notice that when the wise men get to Bethlehem, where do they meet Jesus? In a house. It says they met him at a house. So I, I have a friend that was always troubled, always very bothered by the fact that uh, nativity scenes show the wise men at the manger because the Bible says that they did not come to the manger, but they saw Jesus and his mother at the home where they were staying in Bethlehem. And so they were always bothered that people would put wise men at the manger because that's not where they... So we know it was sometime later. Some people think it was as much as a year or more later. Certainly it was time for them to be, get settled uh, in this home. And so we, we see that God was not just preparing the way and getting the wise men there, but even the gifts that they brought were preparing Mary and Joseph to finance a trip that they were going to need to take. Because God knew what was going on. God warned these three wise men not to go back to Herod, but to go home their own way, a different way. Because Herod had a plan. And in God's sovereignty, he provided for what was going to happen next. So let's look at it. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. Now when they departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Rise, take the child and his mother and flee to Egypt and remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, out of Egypt I call my son. So not only had God supernaturally provided for these wise men to show up, but God supernaturally provided for Mary and Joseph to, to be able to get away from Herod, down into Egypt, protect Jesus for a time, and get him back. And those gifts that the wise men brought would have helped with financing the trip that they needed to take. But again, God was, in his sovereignty, preparing the way, preparing the uh, safety of Jesus and also fulfilling the prophecy that had been uh, spoken back in Hosea chapter 11. Out of Egypt, I will call my son. So again, God's hand is over all of this. And then finally this morning, the last part of the story I want to read from Matthew chapter 2 says this. Then Herod, when he saw what, that he had been tricked by the wise men, became furious. And he sent and killed all the male children in Bethlehem and all that region who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had ascertained from the wise men. Then he fulfilled what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, weeping and loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refused to be comforted because they are no more. Herod was a madman. 
And when he had been deceived by those wise men, he went ballistic. He understood what had happened. He understood what he needed to do to take care of this threat. And so he sent and had the children of Bethlehem that were two years old or younger killed to protect what he had. And again, that was prophesied in, in Scripture. And we, we think about families that were, were torn apart because of what Herod decided to do. That, that verse 16 where it said he became furious indicates that he had really lost control. He lost control. He so much wanted to hold on to what he had that he was not going to let anything stand in his, in his way. This guy was completely out of control with his power. And he was going to do anything to hold on to his kingdom and to control what he had. But Herod's days were numbered. Joseph took Jesus and Mary into Egypt, and eventually Herod passed away. And I want to read to you an excerpt from Josephus, the Jewish historian who commented on the death of Herod. Listen to how Herod died. This is from Josephus. Herod died of this, he said, ulcerated entrails, putrefied and maggot-filled organs, constant convulsions, foul breath, and neither physicians nor warm baths led to recovery. That's a great picture, isn't it? Let me read that again. <laughs> ulcerated entrails, putrefied and maggot-filled organs, constant convulsions, foul breath. The guy basically was rotting from the inside out. That's how Herod died. Now, his death, I, I don't want to suggest that it was necessarily uh, God's punishment on him or that I think the picture, though, that we want to hold on to as we wrap this up this morning is I want to contrast the life of King Herod and how he reigned and how he led with the, the way that Jesus, the king of the Jews, the way he lived his life and the way he reigns in our life. So I want us to look at that uh, together because we see how King Herod lived his life, how it came to an end, uh, the way his life ended, and we see the King Jesus being born and, and we want to look at his life. And I want to contrast, I want to see the tale of these two kings because in this story, We've got two kings. We've got an appointed king of the Jews, King Herod, and we've got a baby born king of the Jews in Jesus. And I want, to sing, I want, to, I want us to look at this contrast because the two of them have very different legacies. So let's look at this. First of all, King Herod ruled by power. He ruled by manipulation and coercion. He ruled by power, manipulation, coercion. Jesus ruled as a loving servant. Herod controlled people. Jesus served. Jesus loved. Mark 10.45, Jesus says about himself that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. Herod manipulated he ruled by power. Jesus ruled 
and led as a servant. Secondly, King Herod was selfish. He was self-indulgent. King Jesus was self-denying and self-sacrificing. Herod was controlled by his ambition. He was driven by what he wanted to accomplish. He didn't care who he had to step on. He didn't care what it cost him, who got in his way. It was his blind ambition that controlled how he lived his life. Jesus, again, emptied himself, gave, gave his life, sacrificed his life so that we could have a relationship with him. Thirdly, King Herod was a destroyer of people. King Jesus was a savior. Herod used people. He didn't care about people. They were just a means to an end for him. They were objects for him to use however he wanted to accomplish what he wanted to do. Jesus was a savior. Matthew 1.21, when Joseph had his dream, and within that dream he was promised that Jesus was the savior. He was going to be born savior of the world. King Herod was cruel, even to the littlest. King Jesus was kind, especially to those who find themselves on the margins, those that are on the edge. Herod had no compassion. He had no empathy. That's what drove Jesus, was his heart of compassion, his heart for people. And eventually... Finally, King Herod lost everything he thought he controlled, and Jesus will always be in control of what he has. Here's the thing. I saw a movie a while back. Maybe some of you have seen it. I don't necessarily recommend it. I'm just going to say that I saw it. It's, the movie's called The Departed, and it's a mobster movie. And I was just reminded as I was watching this movie, and it took place in Boston, and we've got crooked cops, and we've got organized crime figures, and, and I was reminded that when you are living and driven by your ambition and you are deceitful and manipulating, you've always got, you always have your eye over your shoulder. You're always looking for who's coming behind you because the way that you treat other people is the way you're going to be treated, and you know that's the way the world works, and that's what this movie was all about, that, that people that were deceptive, deceiving, manipulating people, the same thing was happening to them. And I look at King Herod and, I, and I'm reminded that that's exactly what happened with him. Everything he thought he controlled, eventually he lost. And the way that he treated people came back to impact his own life. He eventually lost everything he thought he controlled. Jesus has been exalted and is ruling in heaven today. So the tale of two kings reminds us that there is uh, a way that this world works, but there's a way that God has designed the world to work that brings true fulfillment and understanding and joy. It's the way we have been designed to live. But if we, true, if we choose to live in the world's way, the empire of this world, if we adopt that as our way of life, then we will succumb to the eventualities that that brings into our life. 
If we will live as the king Jesus lived, as a humble king who came as a baby, lived as a servant, died as a criminal, but was raised to life and exalted as Lord, we will find a new way of living. The empire of this world is a treadmill. You will never find fulfillment on that treadmill. You will always be looking over your shoulder, waiting for the next more powerful thing to come into your life. The kingdom of God brings peace, brings joy, brings abundant life. So this morning, my challenge to us as we head into a new year is that we will choose King Jesus. That we will say no to the empire of this world, no to trying to gain power through the way that the world says we should have power and recognize that God has a different way for us. He has a different way. And if we fight and claw and try to live as the world wants us to live, we will never find the fulfillment that we think we will. It is only when we let that go and we let the kingdom of God reign in our life that we will truly understand the fulfillment that God wants to bring. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. God, thank you for this morning. God, forgive us. We, we recognize that there are um, times in our life where we have adopted the way of this world, that we have fallen into the trap of the empire of this culture, of this society, and that we try to hold tightly to the power that we think that we can exert. And as a result, God, we treat people poorly. We have less compassion than we should. That we use people, we manipulate situations. God, forgive us. Forgive us. Help us to recognize that you offer a new way, a different way. That when we recognize the rule of King Jesus in our life, that we can live as servants, that we can deny ourselves, that we can give up control, that we do not have to exert power, that we can love others the way that we were intended to, the way you've designed us to. So God, as we start into a new year, would you speak to our hearts about that? Would you make us aware of the places where we have lived in a way that is not pleasing to you, adopted maybe a, a way of life that has taken us the wrong direction and help us to get that uh, straightened up. We trust you for that. Thank you, God. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, this morning, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. Uh, I've invited uh, uh, our, our prayer people. We're going to be here at uh, each side of the stage this morning as you, um, as we leave. If there's something in your life, in your heart, uh, that you just need to get straight as you start into a new year, you say, hey, man, here's something I'm struggling with. I need some help. I've got Glenel and Gary that will be up here. I will be here in the front as well. Would love to pray with you and just uh, help you walk through whatever issues that you might be uh, struggling with this morning. We are looking forward to a, uh, a great new year. God's got a great future for us as a church together. So it's my prayer that you will experience it uh, with us. Let me pray as we leave this morning. God, we are so grateful.
that you are here among us as we start into a new year, as we celebrate the turning of the calendar. God, that's all it really is. It's just one day into the next. But in some way, shape, or form, there's a sense that uh, things are new, and there are new opportunities that come our way. So as a fellowship here, God, would you uh, speak into our lives? Would you uh, give us the power to be your people, not just here in these four walls, but out in this community, that people would see a difference in how we live? We thank you for that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Have a great week.